This morning, the title is, It's Not What You Do, It's What You Do First That Matters. It's not what you do, it's what you do first that matters. 1 Kings 17, starting at verse 8, you know this story. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So before Elijah gets there, this is important, God has already spoken to this widow. So there's communications on both ends, is what I'm trying to say. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord God lives... I have nothing baked, but only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now listen to this. Now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare. She's going to make a fire. That I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Just pause there a minute. What pictures, I can remember when I was a kid and we had that high-tech flannel graph board in my Sunday school class, which, by the way, was just where the furnace was. It was in the basement in the furnace room and there were about 11 of us and the flannel graph board was on the wall and, and Phil Hinkston, who was my teacher, put up the picture of this widow gathering sticks and she was in this purple robe and she didn't look that bad. Now picture what she really must have looked like. Do you see pictures? Sometimes they do those tear-jerking ads on TV and you see little, you see little boys and girls and their eyes are in their sockets and it's just a skeleton of a face and you can count all the ribs because they're near death, right? Now, I just want you to have an accurate picture because that flannel graph was not true. What does this woman look like right now? And what does her son look like that they're going to have a morsel of bread and then die? What do you think she looks like? I think she's a, a scrawny, skeletal, weak person, right? Now remember, God already spoke to this widow and said, I want you to feed the prophet Elijah when he comes. Must have made no sense at all, right? Going to prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said. But first, he's not telling her not to do it. He's telling her to do something else first. But first, make me a little cake of it. Bring it to me. Afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, 
and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. What a text. Pray with me. There's not one of us in this room, there's not one of us in this room in whose heart you don't want to work with this text. And unless we're callous and resistant, you can come by grace now. Work in my heart, on this side of the pulpit, in everyone else's heart. Teach. And cause your word to have impact and life-sustaining power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this is a series on giving, and you don't have to be a theologian to realize there's nothing specifically mentioned in this text about offerings and a local church. Fair enough. I'll give you that. But a couple of things, I think, need consideration. And they need consideration because, after all, why did the Holy Spirit, that's our belief of the Scriptures... Why did the Holy Spirit superintend the inclusion of texts like these for churchgoers like you and I? Why is this here for us? And I think there are two broad, unchanging principles that form the heart of this account. First, just plainly speaking... There's no denying this is a very material text. It's very earthy. It's about having enough food to eat. And even closer to home for many, it's about those times when it's obvious to us we don't, we don't have enough physical resources for our present demands. That cuts pretty close to the bone for most of us. Not having quite enough resources for all of the present demands. So, so this clearly is a story about, it's about lack. It's about need. It relates to us that way. Now, the container is different. It was a jar for this widow, where the first thing you might think about is uh, a bank account, overdrawn, a payment larger than our capacity for payment or some pesky pastor harping away on giving again on a Sunday morning. Goodness knows we don't have money to burn, Pastor Don. But we get the idea behind the concern of this widow. Times can be demanding. Times can be tough. Resources are limited. It's not rocket science to relate to that. But second, I said there were two principles. 
Second, this text is about, is about how priorities can get mixed up. How priorities can be uh, disguised so we might not clearly see what needs to be done first when we're staring at our limited resources. What we see, like this widow, what we see as our limitations can kind of throw us off balance and make good decisions hard and bad excuses easy. And so hence the title of this teaching. It's not what you do, it's what you do first that matters. And that principle forms the heart of the rest of this message. It's not what you do, it's what you do first. Point number one. Let me get caught up with my slides here. Never wait for abundance... To begin honoring God with what you presently have. Never wait for abundance to begin honoring God with what you have. The opening word to Elijah, I highlighted it when we read the text. It's strange. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold. Think about this. That's what God is saying in behold. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So that's already done. By the time God speaks to Elijah, he's already spoken to the widow. But this is nuts, isn't it? Remember how I described that widow? What she must have looked like? If God wants to feed Elijah... Sure, it's a time of drought, but weren't there any rich families in Zarephath he could have sent Elijah to? None? Were there no families living on larger farms with better crops and bigger herds? Couldn't God find anyone with more than one small jar of flour and two mouths to feed one last meal before just starving to death? Couldn't... Couldn't God find somebody other than that to feed Elijah? Who sends anyone? Who sends anyone to this skeletal widow for material resources? Who does that? Well, apparently God does. Clearly, if the text means, if these words are true... Clearly, God wants to use this starving-to-death widow to feed Elijah. See, what I would have done, I would have had Elijah, God had fed Elijah before, without any help. Ravens brought him, God had all sorts of ways of feeding Someone like Elijah. I would have told the story that Elijah comes and God gives Elijah a boatload of food and he comes to the widow's house and he gives it to her. Like there's your Oprah story, right? But I wouldn't have done it this way. I wouldn't have had the prophet come up. The nerve. He comes and he says, go on your way. And Oh yeah, when you're going, would you get me some water, please? 
Can he not see her hobbling along, barely able to stand? Can't he see that? And as she hobbles along, he goes, oh yeah, and, and a cake. No, please. Oh yeah, and a cake. Bring me a cake, too. The whole thing just seems surreal. Not one of us would have picked her to be the supplier. We would have picked her to be the receiver. And she will be. She is as poor as anyone could be. Not only does she have very little to eat, she doesn't even have fuel to cook the food she has. She's out scrounging around for sticks. That's what the text says. She has no servants to go out and collect firewood. With whatever strength he has left before she drops dead, she's hobbling around picking up sticks so she can make a fire to bake the little bit of flour into a cake. There's no one else to care for her. She's on her own. All of which raises, say all those details, all of which raises this fascinating question. Is God sending Elijah to this widow to take care of Elijah? Or is God sending Elijah to this widow to take care of the widow? I mean, I mentioned already, God supernaturally fed Elijah before with no help from anyone else. Thank you very much. No, it's the widow God wants to teach. And it's the widow God wants to bless. And it's the widow and her son God wants to feed. And Elijah is the means. But everything will depend not on what the widow does, but on what the widow does first. You're all all with me so far? Notice also how God had prepared the heart of this widow in advance so that she would know she was responding to the word of the Lord and not just the demands of Elijah, which explains why she's willing to go along with this and do what he says. We aren't given the details, but the text is clear. The widow knows she's hearing from God. That's in that ninth verse of the 17th chapter. So that communication with the widow has already taken place before Elijah gets there. So, why send Elijah to this poor widow? I think that part seems easy. It's wonderful. It's blessing to hear, but it's not complicated. He wants to bless and care for the needs of this widow. Okay, And he wants her to, as with all of us, He wants to not just be a genie in heaven who grants wishes. He wants her to obey her way into blessing. Obey her way into his promise. He doesn't want to just wave a wand over her head. It is true, is it not? It is true that could Elijah not have come into her house and and just, and just done this? And filled up her house with bread as the Lord worked through him? Well, of course, of course. But he doesn't want to do it that way. He doesn't want to do it that way because what he's trying to show is the way our material, little or much, the way our material possessions can control the way we respond to the promise of God. 
And he wants to free her of that. He wants her placing her faith in his word before she sees all of his provision. And the command to give Elijah what she knows she can't afford to give is the tool that he uses to feed her until the rains come. Now, the harder question. Why is this account recorded for us? We live under the new covenant, not under the old covenant. These really aren't quite good song, but they aren't quite the days of Elijah. We're under the new covenant. It's better than the old covenant. We seem miles removed from this story from 1 Kings, except... And that leads to point number two. We're taught here, God isn't honored at all unless he's honored first. God isn't honored at all unless he's honored first. And this widow, like everyone else since the creation of Adam and Eve, could easily feel, would you blame her for saying, I... I, I don't have resources to meet your need, Elijah. Who of us would have blamed her? I feel guilty sometimes because we, uh, once in a while, Rene and I go to New York City. I'm one of those goofy people. I don't want to go to a cottage up by a lake. I want to go to Manhattan. I know, you have a sick pastor. And I love walking around on the streets and I love... And, of course, New York, there's people all over the place, everywhere you go, that are there with their box, and they sleep there in the entranceway of that store. You've seen them, and they're asking for help. And it's not that I never have. I have. But isn't it easy to go by and and just... You don't know what to say. I don't really want to engage in conversation. We're on our way somewhere else. And they go, do you have any change? You just go, no. Well, that's not true. (laughs) My point is this widow could really have said, I'm sorry, I just can't help you. I saw one guy, I almost did give him something. It it had a sign and and he just sat there and it was right up front and it just said, money for beer. You know, you gotta, you got to admire forthrightness like that. This widow could have easily said, I don't have anything to give you, Elijah. In fact, that's what she says. Look at 12 and 13. And she said, as the Lord God lives, I'm not making this up. That's her way of saying this is true. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I'm going to gather a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Sorry, I didn't know. Then take care of your needs first. No. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. What you're going to do is not a bad thing. What you're going to do is go ahead and do that. But first, make a little cake of it. Bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. You can see where I'm going. 
there are only two important words in that 13th verse. The words are first and afterwards. First and afterward. These are words emphasizing timing, right? They're, they're sequence words. They don't just describe events. They're stressing the order of the events. There's nothing wrong with her plan to provide for her physical needs. Go, go and do as you have said. It's not her actions that are wrong. God knows we have to work. God knows we have to provide. God knows we have bills. God knows we have responsibilities. This widow caring for her needs and her sons is perfectly right and honorable. The problem isn't there. The problem's different. But she does have a problem. It's her priorities that are scrambled. Do what you must do. Do what you must do, but start with God. Start with God. That's the message. It's also her problem. Because she's convinced she can't... These priorities can't be reversed. It's impossible. There isn't enough in that jar to do what she wants to do and what God is requesting. And, and we, need to, we need to pause right here because this is the point. It's, it's very easy to make the gap between this text and yourself greater than it actually is. Uh, let me explain. If we all in this room took a piece of paper and we wrote down what we're worth, didn't sign it, and we put it in a big basket and came up here and I just read the numbers to you, you might, if you've been in the church for like dozens and dozens and dozens of years, you might think you'd know how to assign. But the numbers would, would vary from very little to very much. There are people here this morning and you are like this widow because you have less of this world's goods than others. You can do a rough calculation of median income and you know how the government places you at the poverty level. And so there, you're like this poor widow trying not to have too much month left over at the end of the money. There's some like that, but not most of us. Not most of us. That's not the majority of us at Cedarview. This isn't that kind of church. That's not a bad thing. Just walk through. Walk through the parking lot. Don't do it right now. Look at the cars. Visit the homes. Skip up to the cottages. Peek into the restaurants. Read the brand labels on our clothes. We're, we're a pretty blessed bunch here. Thank you very much. That's okay. That's not bad. But my point is, not just the poor, but we all are, are still exactly like that widow. And, and here's why. 
If you have very little, you use it all. And if you have very much, you use it all. And with little or much, you can't see the sense or even the possibility of taking what you have out of, out of circulation and giving it to your local church. How, how would I... Can't cover my bases that way, Pastor Don. Got commitments. And the call to do this is just as hard and demanding for the millionaire as it is for this poor widow. We're exactly the same. And that's because if you have been blessed with much, you're involved in much. You have funds here, you have funds there, you have funds tied up for your future. These are not, you don't just have a million dollars in 20s under your bed so you can say, well, I'll take this first and I'll give this to the church. That's not the way giving works in today's world. Whether you have little or whether you have much, it's out there. It's not, it's not here in my hands. I, I put it out there. I bought this land, this business, these places. And now, and now it's, it's out there. It's not just extra dollars... You can siphon off whatever percentage. And you can't imagine, you can't imagine cutting back on all you have going on just to give something to the Lord. And so, we find ways of getting around that. We learn how to calculate our annual salary down to the lowest possible number. And of course, God's very good with numbers. He knows how accountants and bookkeepers work their financial sleight of hand... But really, once you've whittled your actual income down, could you sustain everything about your life exactly the way it is with that $47,000 income? I doubt it. God knows that. God measures our stewardship by what we do first with the financial kingdom over which he has made us stewards. All of us. All of us. You you can't do accounting games with him. And so, we are all like this widow, rich or poor, with little or great. If we're going to honor God proportionately, and if we're going to give it to him first, it's going to take a great deal of faith to rest down on the conviction that God's biblical demand is actually in our best interest. Not one of us naturally believes that. How you doing? Point number three. The account of this widow is inspired for our study because we so easily miss, we so easily miss how our future happiness is secured or established. Look at verses 14 to 16. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah said. 
and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Red flag here. Believe me, I know all the twisted prosperity teachings that if you give God a hundred bucks, you get a thousand back. You will never hear that out of my mouth. And the strange thing about that, by the way, is, if, is that if God actually automatically did that, then faith would be destroyed. I mean, God would just be turned into a cosmic accountant who just does the math and mails you the check. The text never says this poor widow suddenly became rich. We do read that her needs were met until the rains returned. But, but here's what this wondrously relevant text does say. It says the widow was, she was protected by God himself. Okay? It says, it says God blessed her. And it said God preserved her little family as she put him first with her material goods, all her material goods. So, in other words, her sacrificial obedience, in doing that, she brought everything about her life and her little family under, under divine care in a very special way. And she found that what she did in obeying the Lord only seemed sacrificial at the moment. It only seemed demanding at the moment. It brought her life's greatest joy and contentment as faithful obedience to the Lord always does in every area of life, including our finances. But in the finances, it takes more faith because the finances are tied more closely to our sense of well-being and security. How is spiritual life formed? How is spiritual life formed? Where does God's divine touch rest down on your life? And I would guess that just like this poor widow, there are people here this morning who would never dream spiritual destiny. A God-shaped future is formed not just in the prayer room, not at the altar but during that seemingly uneventful slot in the service when the offering plate is passed around, that your future gets formed. In spite of what you sing, your future gets formed. And that's because, for many of us, with all of life's material demands pressing in on us, with both the threat of disaster and promise of investment return, it's, it's easier to offer God my prayer life than my financial life. That request from Elijah really put everything on the line for this widow, didn't it? My goodness. It's a demanding request. 
right to the bottom, right to the bottom of all her resources. She has a choice. And all of God's promise and provision are on the line. It's not enough that she offers some tiny leftover to Elijah after she prepared her meal for herself and her son. Elijah's very clear. No, no, do that, but not that doesn't come first. There's a lot of people that we all wrestle with. There's a lot of people that need to think that through. I've got this, I've got this, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, and boy, whew, the demands. Pastor, you have no idea what I'm involved in. And, and what's left over here, I can, I'll give you, I'll write a check. That's, that's where this widow is. He, he's asking her to feed him first, remember? It's a text about priorities. Nothing else will be right for this widow if she works her way eventually to Elijah. You get it? Nothing good's going to happen to this widow if she works her way eventually to Elijah. It's, it's the trust of her heart that's being called for. There's no other way to get our hearts than to ask for our material possessions first. Because nothing else makes us honest with our creator, redeemer. Our hearts are whole, organic things. They, they can't be split up into segments like a tangerine. That's a good image. I mean, I, I, can't ask, I can't ask God to honor and bless these six segments. And I will, I will just, right now, I, I need to maintain control over these two segments. And I'll tell you what I believe is specifically from the Lord for many people in this sanctuary right now. There's people here today and you're desperately trying to figure out the reason for the slight measure of God's manifest blessing and presence in your heart. And the core issue is you're trying to peel off segments of your being where you want God's touch and grace manifested. Oh Jesus, bless my marriage. Bless my children. Bless their marriages. Keep them close to you. Heal my spouse. Help me with my classes. Help me get good grades. Help me find a job. Bless my business. Help me with this investment. On and on and on it goes. Please, please keep these six segments of my orange in your care. Please, God, please look after these six segments of my tangerine. I want your blessing on them. And then, when the offering plate comes around, I'll just, I've got a lot of financial things on the go, Pastor. I'm just going to keep these three segments, and I'll see how things go and what's left over. You can do that. You can do that. And God will not force his will into all that you have going on with your wealth. But you need to know this. You need to know this. Not only will God let you keep those treasured three segments of your financial kingdom, he will also return the other six segments you so desperately want him to bless and honor. And he'll say, here, you can have your whole kingdom. Good luck with it. And, and is that where you want to go? 
he gets the whole tangerine or none of the segments. It all gets put into his hand or he receives none of it. It's not what you do, it's what you do first that counts. Just like that little myth of King Midas that I talked about last week, who had his wish granted that everything he touched turned to gold, and depending on which ending of the myth you prefer, he sits at this banquet to celebrate with all of his friends, and he realizes as he picks up the meat and the food that it all turns to gold in his hands, and he can't eat anything. You can't digest gold. Either God gets the whole tangerine or you start to find your whole life, even as it continues to prosper, you'll start to find it unsatisfying and indigestible. One other thing, and I'm done. I believe we're, we're meant to see two optional endings to the account of this widow in the face of Elijah's request to honor the Lord first with her resources. She doesn't have to. And if she chooses not to, if she calculates the demand, is, it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable where I am right now. Then she will still have her chosen meal with her son. And she will secure her future, but just for a short time. And then, like each one of us, all too soon... She will die and her son will die. She can go that route. She can do what she wants to do and get very short-term security. Or she can do what Elijah's calling her to do and she can get long-term security. Do you see the difference? She can honor the demanding call of first stewardship to the Lord with everything she has... She can honor that call. And that means she won't be able to feed herself and her son first. And she, no doubt, felt the risk of that deep in her heart. But she, she honors the call of the Lord in the sequence of her priorities. And she makes the joyful discovery that she secures her long-term security as she puts God first in a way that never would have come about otherwise. But it didn't look like it. And it doesn't look like it to you, eh? So sit down today. Don't wait. Thinking it will get easier later on. You have to start with what you have. And for your own soul's sake, talk about this with your wife or your husband. Calculate what will represent an honest monthly portion of whatever total wealth God has placed under your stewardship and start honoring with that first and save your whole being with long-term security. Let me tell you another parable. I think it's in the New Testament. I'm not sure. A pastor went out to visit a farmer. Said to the farmer, you know that story, it, it's, it's really an important story about Elijah and, and the widow and her honoring the Lord first with all that she had. Pastor, a good sermon. Appreciated that. 
people, a lot of people need to hear about that. Pastor said, so Jake, if you, if you had two farms, do you, do you think you'd give one of them to the Lord? And he said, you know, I do. He's blessed me, and I really do. I, I'd give one of them to God. That's good. Jake, if you, if, you had two, if you had two barns, do you think you'd sell one of them and give it to the Lord? He says, well, I don't have two barns, but boy, I, you know what? I would. I love him, and I would do that. And the preacher said, well, Jake, if you had two pigs, and you go, wait a minute, Pastor, you know I have two pigs. It's easy to think that way, isn't it? What we would do, you know what, if, look at so-and-so. If I had his money, gee, I would be supporting your work, Lord. Got two pigs? And with that, let's pray.